Dealmaker Insights, the podcast brought to you by Reed Smith's corporate and finance lawyers from around the globe. In this podcast series, we explore the various legal and financial issues impacting your deals. Should you have any questions on any of the content through this series, please contact our speakers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Dealmaker podcast of Reed Smith. Today, you have me, Adela, and Tufail. We are both members of the corporate team in the Dubai office of Reed Smith. And today, we will have a little bit of a conversation about practical uh, matters which entrepreneurs starting their companies should be aware of when considering capitalizing their startup businesses. Just uh, to to make this more interesting, we'll run this as a little bit of a, a hypothetical discussion. I'm going to play the the entrepreneur's role. Let's say me and my mate Bob have come up with this amazing idea, which we're sure is going to make us a billion dollars. And yeah, we we know what we want to do, but we have no idea about how to procure funding for uh, starting our business and then growing it as uh, as we go along. So we came to Tufel to give us some information about this. Tufel, hello. Can you give us a bit of an idea of how, how we're going to fund this thing? We think it's going to be a success, but we have no money. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you've come to the right person for this. To start off with, I think for any any sort of startup companies, the founder or founders will probably not have a track record or won't have enough sufficient money to make a large investment. So what you typically see is the founders usually going to their friends and families to, to obtain some form of cash. It could be could be small loans to big ticket loans from their friends and families. The way they could structure it maybe is to is to have some form of a convertible loan, which converts into shares later down the line. So the reason why you'd approach friends and family is to try and get the business off the ground to an investment ready stage. And it's usually kept informal. And that, that's right at the start. After a few years, maybe that's when the founder has has some form of track record has an investment plan together, would probably go and approach angel investors. You're probably aware of the show Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, where you, where you have angels who are ex-founders who, who can really add significant value and provide certain level of investment. And they'll probably have some form of sector experience. Fast forward another few years, once you know, you've got a good level of a financial track record, you probably go and approach large institutional investors. Again, it's, it's important to pick the right investor who understands the sector, can add value, not only just a large sum of cash. And to summarize, you know, investments can be provided by a number of ways, whether it's through friends and family from the start, angel investors, or VCs, institutional investors, depending on where the company is at. So that's, that's the potential funders out the way, Adela. That sounds interesting and complicated. Okay, so right, we've, we have set up our company. We, we do have a, a little company that we use. 
So what are we going to give these investors? Uh, obviously, we, we have seen Dragon's Den and we see that all these investors want large chunks of our, our businesses, but it all sounds very complicated. What do investors want for, for their money, basically? Yeah, thanks, Adela. I think what every investor would like is ownership of the company that the founder has set up. And that is in the form of shares. So there are different types of shares that investors would prefer. So the first form of shares would be ordinary shares. These are standard form of shares in the company with standard voting and economic rights. When I say economic, I mean dividends that get paid out to investors, whether it's on a quarterly basis or on a yearly basis, and some form of payment on liquidation or an exit. There's also preferred shares. Preferred shares are, what they are is they carry a right to a priority payment on an exit. And usually institutional investors, such as VCs or overseas investors, will probably seek to obtain some form of preferred shares. They typically carry the same voting rights and dividend rights as ordinary shares. There's other form of ownership in the company. Maybe it doesn't need to be in the form of shares. It could be convertible debt via way of a loan instrument. So that that would be a form of loan provided by the investors to the founder or founders, which is repayable at a certain period of time. So it really depends what the investors would like to go for or what the founders would prefer. Because with, with equity, with shares, you've got a stream of income and a capital return. And it's not, you're, you're sort of locked in for the long term unless there's some form of exit mechanism. Whereas with a loan, investors are not hooked for the long term. There's also something called advanced subscription, whereby investors would provide funds now for shares and which will be issued at a discount on a future fundraise. It's very, very similar to a convertible loan note and the terms contained in an advanced subscription agreement would mirror a convertible loan instrument, very similar. Often investors will probably be offered a choice between the two by the founders and it's really up to both the investors and the founders to work together to figure out which would be preferential to both parties. Wow. Right. So you said these investors will want ownership of our company. So I I get that, but you know, Bob and I are putting in, you know, our blood, sweat and tears and we have sunk all our savings into this. So we we want to make sure that we are going to get something out of this company. We're going to grow the company. How are we protected? What do we get out of this whole process? And how do we ensure that our rights, they don't disappear as we get more fundraising and we we get more investors on board? Yeah, absolutely. I think would be key for investors here is to make sure that there's some form of incentivization for the founders and the employees. So investors will want founders to be appropriately remunerated for the work. They will try and make sure they're adequately incentivized to try and retain them in the business and encourage strong performance. 
There's various ways to do this for a startup company. They'll probably try and subject the founders to to certain milestones, to certain KPIs. And it could be linked to a mechanism called a reverse vesting of shares and lever provisions. So what that is, is these mechanisms effectively mean that founders earn their shares over time. The reason why an investor would want to do that is because, for example, the founder has incredible amount of know-how and is the key to the business. And if the founder was to walk away from the business, this could potentially be catastrophic for the business itself, the investors who have put a large sum of money into the business, and then having to find new management to incentivize. Also, it, it just gives reinsurance to the investors that the founders are locked in. So just to give you some further clarity on what this vesting mechanism is, is that the founders will have shares in the company initially, as I've mentioned before. And over time, the shares will vest, meaning that if the founders were to uh, say vest over three years, so if the founders were to leave in a year or two, then their unvested shares in the company would convert into worthless shares called deferred shares. Or they'd be asked to offer their shares at a discount to the investors. So there's different different mechanisms in place for the investors to try and make sure that the, the founders are incentivized. But we also have to look at not just the founders, but the employees in the business. It's, it's also important that employees are also incentivized appropriately to make sure that the business performs strongly. And one form of way to incentivize employees is a method called providing employee options. It's simply a right to acquire share at a given price at a future date or on a certain event. And usually options in an early stage company will be exercisable only on an exit. Again, these options will typically be subject to vesting over a given period. So if, if an employee was to leave in two years where the vesting period was five years, then they'll probably lose some or all of the options. Another thing to know is that the options are highly technical area. So specialist advice should should be sought in this area to make sure that it's put in place properly and employees are not subject to hidden taxes over these options. Oh, wow. That sounds complicated, but I'm glad there are ways to, to protect our interests. Now, yes, this, I think I'll definitely need your help with all this process. So perhaps you can run me through the, the process for, for a fundraise and the documents that I would need your help to, to put together and I would need to negotiate with my investors. Absolutely. So, of course, founders need to be you know, prepared before a fundraise. As I mentioned before, you know, the founders will need to consider the investors that they want to bring on board and how best to target them. So depending on where the company is at, whether it's a year into the business, three years into the business, the founders will need to prepare some form of information memorandum or or an investor deck, which sets out essential details of the company, its business, its future plans, and details of how much the company wants to raise and how much equity is being offered to the investors. So having these documents in place early on just makes the process more efficient. Also, 
there's a document called a term sheet. So once the company or the founders have its key investors lined up, it's important that the founders negotiate and agree a non-binding term sheet. This, this term sheet usually sets out the key terms of the investment, and that will form the basis of the fundraise and can be presented to any investors as uh, which they are invited to invest. And usually that's where founders and or the investors will get lawyers involved to try and make sure that these documents are proofread, are negotiated, reviewed, and protect the interests of the parties who they are acting for. Can I ask you a, a quick one there? Uh, you, you said that this term sheet is a non-binding document. So if it doesn't bind the parties, why is that? And what's the value of it? If nobody's obliged to give it, well, nobody gets any, any obligations under it. Just to answer that, first of all, when I said non-binding, majority of the provisions are non-binding, but it sets the road on to what the definitive agreements will look like, the substantial agreements will look like. So the parties would usually use the term good in good faith, agree on certain provisions or certain commercial points that they would like to see in the main form documents at a later stage. When I said non-binding, there are certain provisions that will be binding. So for example, you probably want to have confidentiality provisions in the term sheet to make sure that the agreements between the parties are kept confidential. You probably want to have various other provisions which are binding. So the governing law clause, making sure that it protects both parties. Can I run competitive processes in, on term sheets with competing investors? Is that something that I could be doing? Could just get the best deal? Yeah. So again, usually parties will want to agree everything in good faith. But of course, as an investor, I wouldn't want the founders to be contracting with a number of parties. So what I would want to see as an investor is an exclusivity clause in the document, which basically states that both parties will agree not to talk to anyone else for a certain period of time until till they have agreed some form of investment or cooperation between each other. So that's the term sheet that we've just spoken about. Also, another important aspect or document to implement is a cap table. This is arguably just as important as the term sheet, and it usually is set out in a spreadsheet, the company's capital structure pre and post investment. What I've usually experienced in the past working with a number of clients is that they've all told me, and I've, I've also experienced that it's important to get right any errors now because it will be difficult to rectify once the fundraise has completed and shares have been issued. It's important to make sure that the complete framework is put in place in this cap table. Once you have those documents in place, then the parties will want the lawyers involved to draft the long-form documents. These are binding agreements setting out the detailed terms of the investment and the relationship between the company and the shareholders going forward. So some of the documents that are usually put in place typically would be a shareholders agreement. And I will 
discuss some of the terms to be negotiated in the shareholders agreement uh, shortly. We want to see a separate subscription agreement dealing with the mechanics of the subscription by the investors into the company and also a new set of articles of association of the company, which usually would cover the distribution of proceeds, dividends, share issues and transfers and various other provisions. Once these are agreed, the parties will move forward to sign the documents, transfer the funds and make an investment into the company. As well as these long form documents, you will have ancillary documents that are also put in place to document the fundraise. So you'll have board resolutions, shareholder resolutions and other local jurisdiction related documents. And the lawyers are usually the ones putting in place these documents. So that's the documentation involved for the fundraise. Other things that I'd say that the investors and the founders will want to make sure are covered correctly, mostly by an investor will want to see this. They want to know whether founders and employees have employment contracts with the company. The investors will usually want to see this as a condition to investment. The investors will probably want to look into the company. They will probably want to do some due diligence on the company, its finances, to see its corporate documents, whether it has any IP in the business and whether it's held by the company or the founders. So founders will want to make sure that it has all these information and documents ready for the investors to see. So just making everything easily accessible. This could be done by uploading all of these documents in in an easily accessible data room. In a similar vein, you know, the more up-to-date and comprehensive the company's records are, for example, shareholders' registers, it just gives the investors, you know, more of a reassurance that the company is properly run. Right. So that means that we have to start getting our records and systems and controls into place ready now and not just rely on being able to fix them later. I think it just sounds like that's just going to make everything messier. So the I think it's very important that a business puts the right governance in place at the beginning. It will it will ease the process later on. Great. I think it would also be very useful to to go through the main key terms that are included in the investment slash shareholders agreement and the articles that go with it that deal with the, the balance, obviously, for financial uh, issues, but also the balance between the interests of the, the investors and also the interests of the founders. And it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about how do we achieve that balance to, to ensure that both parties have their interests appropriately represented and protected. Absolutely. I think I've already spoken about you know, the class of shares that an investor would probably want in the company. And I think before the long form documents or before the shareholders agreement is negotiated, the investors and the founders will will have an idea on on the sort of shares that are being offered to the investors, whether it's ordinary shares or preferred shares. So that should be now documented in, in a legally binding document. Usually you have a board of directors in a company, so therefore the investor will want to have the right to appoint 
a number of directors to the board or failing that board observer. So that's something that needs to be documented, whether it's you know equal number of directors between the founders and the investors or the investors having a majority. That's something that will need to be negotiated between the parties. There's going to be material things related to the business. So when a business wants to carry out certain actions, when I say certain, it could be material actions relating to the company. So giving you some examples, when the company is looking to increase salaries of its employees over a given level or incurring a massive debt or changing the articles of the company, issuing shares, transferring shares, the parties will need to think about whether there should be some form of veto rights over these actions. So whether the investor has some sort of a consent or rights over these actions, or whether the founders also have an equal say. So these, these things will need to be inserted in the, in the shareholders agreement. Investors would invariably want to have some form of information rights. They want to see the annual accounts, monthly, quarterly management accounts. They want to get board updates. You usually see a section in the shareholders agreement which details the information rights that investors would like to see. There's also another concept of drag along, tag along. This is typically where a specific majority of shareholders will want to force the remainder to sell their shares if the majority want to sell to a potential buyer. So these provisions would usually be negotiated in the long form documents, especially the shareholders agreement. You'll usually see warranties in the subscription document. Investors typically want to receive some form of warranties. And when I say warranties, these are statements of facts about the company, which if untrue, the investors could claim a breach of contract from the persons who are warranting the, the statements. So that's usually given by the, by the founders. There's also various other terms to be negotiated, and I won't go through them in detail, but investors will usually want to see restrictive covenants. So will the founders or anyone else be required to give non-compete or similar covenants in favor of the company? These are all provisions that are usually negotiated between the parties. Thank you. That's, uh, that's very helpful. Well, I think that our discussion so far, we're going to have to bring to a close because of time constraints, shows that any, any investment in a company is a complicated matter. It's very important for both founders and investors to get the right balance between rights and obligations, contributions to, to the growth of the company so that the, the company is secure and both investors feel comfortable to invest their money and expertise into the company, but also the founders to invest their energy in, uh, in scaling the business up and achieving the best result. Just to finish off, this podcast hasn't dealt with specific issues from a UAE perspective, and there are a number of points to consider when looking at early stage investments from a UAE perspective. We'll be happy to cover them in detail, whether via email, via call, or a separate podcast. Do let us know if you have any questions or concerns, and we'll be happy to come back to you. 
thank you to file for for that i know that uh, you've spent a lot of time working on early stage investment transactions and i know that you wish to continue doing so and if anyone wishes to continue this discussion they should contact us our details are on the website thank you so much for for your time so it's been a pleasure and thank you to file again thank you adela have a lovely day Dealmaker Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's corporate and financial industry practices, please email dealmakerinsights at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.